0: you mm-hmm. and I are looking at Edward the Elder, mainly because we've both watched The Last Kingdom and have got this impression of Edward the Elder and wanted to know whether it was true. Edward the Elder, in case you don't know, is the son of Alfred the Great, who became king in 899 and was king until 924. He's the brother of Ethelfled, the Lady of the Mercians, and the father of Athelstan, the king who is credited with uniting England.
1: He's sort of squeezed in between between two heavyweights, isn't he, really? Alfred the Great and Athelstan.
0: I've actually started feeling sorry for him. Because he seems to be very overlooked.
1: Very, very much so.
0: Yeah, he seems to have been very overshadowed by King Alfred. And yet if you look at his 25 year reign he does actually have a pretty impressive record against the danes yeah i mean i i think in a way you
1: you've got sort of three kings who take things to the next level with each reign
0: that's unusual isn't it because you've got if you look at edward the first edward the second and edward the third you get a high on edward the first low on edward the second and then a high on edward the third
1: yes there's no great progression there i think the other thing that 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 is lacking there is that you haven't got this kind of overarching theme of moving towards a more united kingdom yeah which you've got with starting with alfred perhaps one thing that that put me off edward the elder when i was studying history is Edward the Elder, the name. I mean, it seems to me it's a medieval name, isn't it? A medieval reference.
0: Yeah, but I think that's because we've, (laughs) pardon the pun, anglicised it. Yes. It would actually have been Eardweird or something, (laughs) or Edweird. But we've sort of changed it to Edward because that's the more familiar name to us. Yeah, it's just
1: the term the Elder, which always used to confuse me because I kept looking for a younger Edward and there wasn't one.
0: Yeah. Or looking at this Edward as being 70 or 80 and really wise. Like
1: pit the elder and pit the younger. It wasn't like that. And it was just that to the medieval chroniclers, they were trying to distinguish between Edward the elder and Edward the martyr who came later.
0: Yeah.
1: But that is something that sort of, that distinction is sort of lost in time. And obviously we think of the kings of England as having numbers after them. Mm. And uh, that only starts with the conquest, really, doesn't it? So yeah, he's 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 not only sort of overlooked, but also I think nobody really knows who he is or where he comes from or anything about him, really.
0: No, and it's strange because, like I said, he was on the throne for 25 years. That's pretty impressive for a medieval king. When you look at the ones that succeeded him, you no, know, Athelstan yes. yeah. was only on the throne for about 14 years, I think it was.
1: Yeah. Athelstan was there long enough to, to to make his mark, mm. uh, but the, but then uh, Edward's other two sons from his third marriage they they didn't last very long, did they?
0: No, Edmund and I can't remember the other one. Edwig. Yeah, Edwig, I think it's
1: a name. Oh, it was no, it was Edred. Edred, Edmund, and Edred were the sons uh, from his third marriage. Okay, well we're getting a bit of ahead of ourselves, I suppose. <laughs> so we know who he is. We know we know he's the son of. Alfred and Ellsworth he had a an interesting upbringing which oddly we know something about or we know a little bit about which is that he was brought up and educated with his younger sister they were both educated as sort of prince and princess yes according to I think it said the influence of the Carolingian kings in in France the idea of them being educated in in all manner of areas religion and knowledge and uh, and also manners and all those sorts of things
0: well even here he suffers doesn't he because um you have was it william of Malmesbury saying that he was much inferior to his father in book learning
1: yes i mean (laughs) so (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah his dad actually would have probably preferred to be a monk at some stage wouldn't he and would have ended up being a pope if he was a monk
1: also his father was his father was hardly the norm, was he really, for Anglo-Saxon kings.
0: Yeah, I think everybody's inferior to his father in book learning, aren't
1: they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe not as well educated or perhaps di- didn't have the same aptitude for book learning. Yeah. Which is what it's about in a way, isn't it? It's not that he wasn't educated, it's just that he didn't he didn't take an interest in that particularly, but he was a better soldier and general than, than his father.
0: I think so, definitely. Yeah. And he was de- he definitely had a military mind in him and had an idea of the strategy for the long term yes. rather than just short term fighting one battle. He, he was brilliant at campaigning and he avoided battle, didn't he? Often, the, one of the reasons they suggest that he's not as well known as his father is he didn't have these massive battles as often as Alfred the Great had. There's tetanol and home.
1: And Farnham before he was king. But, I mean, he had battles. But I think the, the distinction is that, unlike Alfred, who had Eddington as a sort of iconic, world-changing battle, and Athelstan, who had Brunenbergh, Mm. Also a very, very significant outcome. Edward didn't have one single battle which you could give the same iconic status to.
0: No, but he did have this campaigning where he seems to have stretched the borders of his England or his area of England every year.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And his work with Ethelflaed, the two of them working together in conjunction to actually push back the Danes, is pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I guess we should look at the whole relationship with Ethelfled because it's not that straightforward, is it really? It's it's an it's an odd one. She's in an unusual well, I mean, it's an understatement almost to say that she's in an unusual position mm. because obviously she ends up being the de facto ruler of, of Mercia for a while.
0: Yeah, it seems to be that Ethelred was wounded and she sort of she took over. And then when he died, she was named Lady of Mercia, and she led the armies. She didn't lead them in battle, but she led them to the gates of Derby so that they would fight. You know, she was there at the heart of the army, egging it on sort of thing
1: and it was during a very significant period for the development of, of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms because Ethelred died in her husband died in 911 and she died in 918 so she had 7 years or probably more because she she took over before he died but mm. she had a while to make her mark on on Mercia and also on the development of the of the two kingdoms Wessex and Mercia she did have her own agenda i don't think she was just uh doing what Edward wanted her to do.
0: No, she seems to have been wanting to strengthen the borders of Mercia. And especially going into Wales was definitely just her because that was her borders rather than Edward's borders. Yeah. The other thing that that struck
1: me when I was looking at this whole relationship is she is, of course, his older sister. Yes. And several years older, at least.
0: About four years. They don't seem to... No, exactly when she was born or when Edward was born. But she is always depicted as not of a similar age. She's definitely older. So she must have been four or five years older than him.
1: Yes. I don't know whether the dynamic worked in Anglo-Saxon times as it does today, but it seems to me that perhaps not all the time, but but quite often if you if you are a chap and you have an older sister, that older sister is always kind of in control of, yes. do you know what I mean, the agenda. Not that that necessarily follows through into adult life all the time, but she's still his older sister. She's his big sister. Mm and i don't know whether you ever really grow out of that i may be wrong but it just seems to me it adds an interesting aspect to their relationship she's not just the wife of ethelred of mercia she's his sister yes. and there's a bond there but it's it's a it's an awkward sort of bond really
0: yeah that's Probably true, actually. I hadn't considered that. He would have known how adept she was at certain things. He would have, you know, he would have probably looked up to her. But the fact that he was king, it probably meant that it bounced out a little. I am king, but you're my big sister, so I look up to you. So they probably meet on a level somewhere because he is the superior one as being a king, but she's the superior one as being the big sister. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I don't think there's much doubt that that she was subject to him, particularly as the years went by. Mm. But they did collaborate well and actually quite sensibly. And although there was always going to be some political wrangling and rivalry between Mercians and West Saxons, they managed somehow to to put together an, an alliance which held pretty well. Yes. During her lifetime.
0: Yeah, although, I mean, it didn't unfortunately survive her lifetime because as soon as she died, even though she had raised her daughter Elfled to succeed her, you know, she planned for Elfled to be Lady of Mercia after her. Is it Elf
1: Elfwyn? Elfwin, sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, she planned for Elfwyn to be Lady of Mercia after her, who either she didn't tell Edward or t- Edward had other ideas because as soon as Ethelfled was... Out of the way, he spirited Elfwyn off to Wessex and absorbed Mercia into his kingdom. And poor Elfwin is never heard of again.
1: Yeah, I think there's a there's a little bit of darkness there, isn't there? Really, there's there's something something not very pleasant about that. But I guess it's real politic. It's I mean, in the overall scheme of things, it was the right for, thing for the king of Wessex to do. Mm-hmm but maybe it doesn't quite sit with the modern historian very well.
0: I do wonder, and this is just me thinking about it this morning when I was reading about Athelstan being sent to Mercia to be raised, sometime around the time that Edward became king. And I did wonder if there was a plan for Athelstan and Elfwyn to maybe marry. And when that didn't happen, he decided Elfwyn needed to be out of the way. But I think that was just me being a bit of a romantic this morning. <laughs> you know, marry Elphin and Athelstan and unite the two in a marriage and then continue it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Elfled, Ath- sorry, Athelstan. Ath- 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 <laughs> Start again.
0: Right. Excuse those listeners, we're having trouble with Anglo Saxon names today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's probably worse to come. <laughs> I've no idea what I was going to say. But
0: what I was reading this morning in um, Michael John Key's biography of Edward the Elder is there was some question as to why Athelstan was sent to Ethelfled to be raised. And when it happened, if it happened before... Alfred the Great died or after. And just before Alfred the Great died, apparently he conducted this ceremony with Athelstan, who was about four or five years old at the time, where he gave him a red cloak. And one of the later chroniclers suggests he knighted him. And one of the theories was that Athelstan was then sent to Ethelfled because Edward thought that Alfred was gearing up to replace Edward in the succession with Athelstan
1: there's different viewpoints isn't isn't there about about that whether it was alfred's idea or whether it was edward's idea to to sort of cement his his claim to alfred's throne because obviously that was not certain when alfred died it was not certain that edward would be able to to keep the throne
0: no primogeniture wasn't established in those days and wouldn't be for another 200 years
1: Yes, and you've got Edward's uncle, Ethel Cousin. Cousin cousin, Ethelwald, who does try to take the throne and declares himself king, not far from where I am now, at Wimborne. I'm not at Wimborne, but that's where he declared declared himself king.
0: He was four years old when his father died, so it's understandable that the crown went to Alfred at that time, because he was just a child and they needed an adult male to fight the Danes. But now Alfred's dead, Ethelwald is an adult male and so why should it automatically go to Edward? Why shouldn't it go back to
1: Ethelwald. In the time period we're talking about as you as you said earlier primogeniture has not yet been uh, established and I think it's very much a question of who the most powerful man the man most able to command uh, the powers that be at the time is going to succeed Mm. and uh, Ethelwald obviously believes that that he's that man um, and so challenges Edward even though Edward is Alfred's successor he challenges it. Yeah. And, and for a while, there's trouble until 902 when Ethelwald when is killed.
0: Yeah, in a battle that he won. Ironically, the Battle of Home that Ethelwald was killed in, Ethelwald and his allies actually won the battle, but with Ethelwald dead on the field, it's a technical knockout, I suppose. Isn't it didn't it?
1: help his cause much, did he? <laughs> <No.
0: laughs> he wasn't going to be doing a comeback, was he? No. I feel sorry for Ethelwald. I have watched him throughout The Last Kingdom. Thing thinking, oh God, he's horrible. And then you find out that he wasn't this teenage rebel at the time that his father died. He was a four-year-old child. He never had a chance.
1: Well, you know, I'm sure we'll be referring to The Last Kingdom as we go through this a number of times, because obviously it is an an impressive series by Bernard Cornwell. And Mm. anyone who's watched it, it does give you certain directions to go in, in terms of what most of the main characters are like. And there's no question that Ethelwold does not come out of it very well. No, he doesn't. He comes out as a sort of spoilt incompetent. You can
0: see how Bernard Cornwell wove the reality in with his take on the drama.
1: Yeah, the problem... With writing fiction About this sort of period Is that we We know next to nothing About most Of even the main players In the game And we we know Very little about Ethelwald at all Yes So in terms of His personality His qualities Or lack of them We really don't know Anything at all So the historical novelist Has got a pretty Blank sheet of paper To start with
0: Yes The thing is We have this book Well it's a series of books Called the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle Which do tell us An awful lot. But in the time of King Alfred, Edward's not mentioned, Elswith isn't mentioned. You know, Alfred makes sure that it stays on him so that you only get to hear about the others once Alfred's dead. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff we get to hear about about Edward and Ethelwald from the time of King Alfred is from Elfweird, a chronicler writing a hundred years later, who's descended from Ethelwald's brother. Yeah. So he's a bit biased. He's not massively biased, but he's biased towards Ethelwald's story rather than Edward. So he's a bit more critical of Edward than he probably should be. Well
1: I mean Edward doesn't do that well in The Last Kingdom either, does he really? I mean, Edward is presented not exactly, he's not presented in a bad light, but he's certainly given a number of character flaws and and generally appears as a a somewhat uh, weak individual by comparison with those around him. Mm -hmm. But of course, in in The Last Kingdom, everybody's weak apart from Utrid. Yeah. Because the the main character is, is carrying the story. And since he wasn't actually... Actually at any of those places Everybody else has to be subordinated to that yes. Which I think is fair enough It's a it's a story mm,
0: It is um, But it's just that the personalities Of the actual characters Like you said we don't have a lot of information On them anyway so to get information On their personalities is going to be really Difficult so you have to read between The lines and it's like with Athelstan's mother Edgwin. Yes, In one depiction she's a shepherdess Somewhere else she's noble She married <laughs> Edward no she did didn't marry Edward. <laughs> she was his
1: mistress, according to somebody.
0: Yeah, and all that is biased. A lot of it may have been invented when Athelstan came to the throne to discredit Athelstan. If he was the son of a shepherdess who'd never married his father, then he had no right to the throne.
1: Yes, I mean, the, the idea that you mentioned uh, in passing that um, she, she might be a noble lady, and it's said she might have been related to St Dunstan, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Mm. But I, I I just look at it the other way around and, and say, well, this is Alfred's eldest son. He's supposed to have married Equin in something like 893. Mm or thereabouts, would Alfred have allowed his heir to to swan about not, you know, just having a mistress or not being married to anybody particularly important when he's expected to succeed him? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all.
0: And then have this ceremony in 899 where he acknowledges Athelstan. Yes. And presents him with a red cloak. It doesn't matter what he presents him with, whether he knights him or not. He's doing this particular ceremony with this boy and acknowledging him. Yes. Surely he wouldn't have done that if Athelstan wasn't the legitimate son of Edward.
1: No, I don't think so. I, I can't put any uh any support with the whole mistress idea and, or shepherdess for that matter.
0: No, she must have been from a family noble enough for Alfred to be happy with them. Yeah, yeah. We don't know whether Edward put her aside or she died by the time he married his second wife.
1: No, I mean, the, the implication is that she died yeah. around 899 before he married uh, Alfred. Again, there's no evidence either way. And as with so much of Edward's writing... We don't know much at all. And one of the reasons we don't know much is there are very few charters which survive from Edward's reign compared to the reign of Alfred and the reign of Athelstan. And it's suggested, one historian has suggested that the reason for that is quite simple. And that's that Edward did not give much to the church. Mm. And Most charters survived in the records of monasteries and churches where there was a a land grant or something to the church. And because he didn't give much to the church, therefore, there's not so many charters which have survived. That may or may not be true, but but it sort of makes sense in a way. He's a pretty hard-nosed individual, I think, Edward, contrary to how he's portrayed in The Last Kingdom.
0: Yeah, I think he's had to be as well. He's grown up in a time of war, hasn't he? Yes. He's never known peace. He was fighting for his dad, now he's fighting for his own kingdom. He's had to be strong. He's had to think of the military rather than being friendly to the church.
1: What I was thinking was that both Alfred and Edward in their own time faced considerable challenges, but there's a there's a difference between their their situations because Alfred was on the run. He was He was fighting against the odds to establish Wessex again as an independent kingdom because of the incursions of the Danes. Whereas Edward started with that firm base that Wessex was established, and he then had the opportunity to build on that. So they were coming at different stages of the development of the kingdom. Yeah. But I, I suspect that because of that, he, his position was that much stronger than Alfred's. Yeah. And he could afford to be hard-nosed. He could afford to to take liberties like uh, kidnapping his niece, Selfwyn mm. of Mercia, and, you know, all sorts of other things. He he could play hardball because he had strength.
0: Yes. And I was reading um, this morning about he'd been arranged a piece with the Danes. he arranged this piece at Tiddingford with the Danes and it lasted for a couple of years. But Ethelred at one stage gets blamed for breaking this piece and it isn't necessarily Ethelred. It seems that Edward actually broke the peace because he was ready to continue the fighting. Yeah, and he did it by um, a story that actually is in the Last Kingdom. And I thought it was just something Ethelfled did, but apparently Edward was part of the raid into Lincolnshire in the books. Uhtred did it um, to get the remains of Saint Oswald from Bardney Abbey in Lincolnshire.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: And that was what broke the truce, raiding into Lincolnshire to recover the body of St Oswald. Yeah, I think it does come
1: across in The Last Kingdom that Edward was prepared to provoke the Danes or provoke any of his enemies, really, to to cause trouble so that he could then Mm -hmm. go in and... and, take over
0: but it was calculated provocation because he did it when he was ready rather than waiting for the danes to break the truce he knew they would eventually anyway (laughs) um he did it so that he was in the better position to you know gain in the upper hand at the beginning of the fight
1: yes i mean i think he's a good example of someone who learned from what his father did Mm. And if you, if you think that both Ethel fled and Edward continued to establish burrs and to uh, build forts, as Alfred had done. So they were using, in a way, Alfred's methods of control and just expanding the area over which they had that control.
0: Yes, definitely. And every time they moved into a new area, the first thing they did was put up a burr, yeah. a base, for local operations, and then, I mean, they did it really, really sensibly, you know. they put up a berth, they'd consolidate the area, and then move on to the next one. And working methodically between the two of them, they could actually, Ethelflaed and Edward, could actually cover more ground. Yeah. So while Edward was concentrating on East Anglia, Ethelflaed could take Derby and Leicester. Yeah. And as she was doing that, she was putting pressure on York to decide what they were going to do, because they could see... Edward and Aethelflaed moving closer, edging closer and closer towards them. And it's like, we've got to make a decision here, boys, because they're coming.
1: (laughs) Yes, and often uh, the Danes weren't really ready to oppose them. And the Danes were also somewhat reliant on more resources and men coming by sea to the East Coast to reinforce them. And if that didn't happen, or if the the numbers that came weren't sufficient... Mm then they kept losing so i mean by by the end of 917 danish power in the, in the middle of the country was more or less gone yes and uh and even more so by 918 when they were they were going going towards york
0: yeah and that's what happened Ethelflaed died in 918 and york had already said they were going to make peace, but unfortunately, Aethelflaed's death made them rethink it for a little while. But they still did in the end, and it's interesting because it's um, Sigtryg was the king in York who yes, the last kingdom is Sigtrigger um, who's murdered by Edward, if you ask me. But <laughs> well, in the in real life, he actually marries supposedly Edith of Polsworth, who may be Edward's daughter, Athelstan's full sister. Or may not, because apparently it's because it's a girl, Edith, and nobody's quite sure because there's also the idea that she became a nun. But it may be that she married Citric, Citric died the year after the marriage, and then she became a nun. Or it may be that they're totally different women.
1: Yeah, there's, the scope for confusion over women's Saxon names is vast, isn't it?
0: It is. You do wonder why they didn't just say Edith, Edward's daughter. <laughs> Well,
1: that's the that's the problem with this period. I mean, everything's so nebulous, and you know, you're you're working with crumbs of of information.
0: I must say, I do like the Danish idea of saying Haraldson or Haraldsdottir. That would just be so much more helpful. At least we'd know somewhere where they were related.
1: Well, we'd have a chance, wouldn't we? Yes. I mean, we get to the point in 920, I think it is, when the northern rulers of the island, the Scottish King, the Northumbrians and Strathclyde, when they submit to to Edward. Yes. But this is an interesting submission because a number of historians have questioned whether it is seriously them submitting to Edward's control of the whole island or whether it's simply them doing a deal.
0: Yeah, because Northumbria had submitted in 920, and then in 921, the kings of Strathclyde and Scots submitted. And I think the Welsh did as well, some of the Welsh kings.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And like you say, it's whether or not, I mean, the kings of Strathclyde and Scots, if if. He'd taken Northumbria in 920. Suddenly he was on their border. They're going to have to do something, aren't they? They're going to have to make an agreement with him. They can't just sit there. Otherwise, they're just waiting for him to invade.
1: Now, one historian, I can't remember who, has suggested that the fact that the submission took place at Bakewell on the border between Mercia and Northumbria suggests that it really wasn't much of a submission. Mm. Because if someone is going to submit to you, it's best they do it in their own land so that you are seen to be clearly the overlord of that area. And that wasn't the case.
0: Unless they just want a Bakewell (laughs) Tart. Because Bakewell Tarts are really nice. If anyone wanted me to submit, I'd meet them in Bakewell.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you compare it with the submission to Athelstan, Athelstan's feels like a serious submission. Yeah. Whereas Edward's, I think, sounds like a a deal. Mm a few quid pro quos here and there, a deal to get him off their backs.
0: Which makes sense. I mean, they've got to, like I said, they've got to do something because he's now on their borders. So they've got to make peace with him somehow. Yeah. You know, um, he's gone from being king of, I think he was king of the Anglo-Saxons when he came to the throne. His dad was king of Wessex. He was king of the Anglo-Saxons. Yeah. Yeah. Athelstan would be king of the English. Well, it's basically by the time of Edward's death, he is all but king of the English. Athelstan has to sweep it up sort of thing and consolidate it. But the campaigning Edward did is what gave Athelstan the solid base from which to finish the conquest.
1: I think that's true. But do you not also think that hindsight does shape our view of that in that we know that Athelstan does manage to achieve that unity oh yes but it could all have gone badly wrong
0: mm-hmm. when
1: Athelstan came along a lot of these things are on a knife edge particularly the outcomes of battles and yes, so on yes
0: definitely it's all it is it is still all to play for after Edward dies
1: I mean if Athelstan loses at Brunnenberg then uh, history takes a different turn perhaps
0: are you similar to me um, weird? Edward's actual successor dies in August 924, just a few weeks after taking the throne, and then Athelstan comes along. His death must be suspicious.
1: Well, I mean, there's so many suspicious deaths in the Anglo-Saxon period. I mean, uh, we, we talked about this a, a few months ago. We're talking about uh, the, the period before 1066, that, you know, somebody somebody dies suddenly at dinner.
0: Oh, yeah, when Edward the Exile when he came back from Hungary. Yeah, that's true.
1: People Die suddenly at dinner, far too frequently. You know, I, 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 yeah, there is there is suspicion. The
0: thing is with Elf weird though, if he'd been sickly in any way, they wouldn't have made him king in the first place. So it must have been a sudden death rather than an illness.
1: Remind me, who Elf weird Where does he come from?
0: He was the son of Edward and Elfled, his second wife.
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. So he was
0: about 23, 24, possibly, when he died. Yeah. And then you have his brother Edwin drowning in 933. Which is also during Athelstan's reign
1: There's a lot of that about
0: (laughs) It's just funny that the children of Edward's second marriage The one that sort of usurped Athelstan's place in the succession Are the ones who died during Athelstan's time
1: Yeah, and yet, you know, the children of of Edward's third marriage To Edgifu, Edmund and Edred They both succeed one off the other Because Athelstan didn't have any sons No Which was a, a major blot on his copybook I think.
0: But they weren't a threat to him either when his dad died, because they were still only children. Yes. Um, Edward and Edgifu had only married in about 919. So when Edward died in 924, they were only three or four years old. Yeah. So they weren't a threat to Athelstan, Right. whereas his younger brothers by the second marriage, who were the preferred heirs, they were a threat to Athelstan.
1: So Edward marries three times. so why did he marry three times do you think? does he I mean he doesn't he's got a son from his first marriage okay once Athelstan. Mm-hmm. might not be enough. So he marries straight after eight nine eight nine nine. He marries Elfled, and then he has There's two sons.
0: And Elfled's the daughter of Ethelhelm, who's um, a powerful elder. Yes, yes. So it's a political marriage to gain support. It's probably either just before or just after Alfred dies, so he's making Anna. Yes. That makes sense. But then, like you say, in 919, he marries again, produces two more sons, and by this point he's, what,
1: yeah, it must be, he's about 45, isn't he? He dies when he's 50, isn't he, Edward? Yeah. Yeah, so he must be about uh, 45 when he marries Gifu. So you can't, you can't tell me it's a particularly good idea to have two more sons when you've already got three.
0: No, and yet it did work out right <laughs> well yes but,
1: <laughs> i mean again that's hindsight if you're if you're edward why do you marry again in 919 on earth unless it's another political political marriage
0: yeah because her father was single helm of kent
1: it might have been a sweetener of some sort to, to sort of keep the kentish people on board or something it seems a little bit odd although as we've seen again as i said later on you get these multiple marriages and and children from different marriages which um c- can only cause trouble you would have thought except maybe their mindset was different because they haven't got primogeniture mm. Perhaps their mindset is, if I have enough sons, one of them is going to be strong enough to rule after me. Perhaps they don't look at it as being a contest they're creating. Mm -hmm. But they hope that one of their sons is going to be strong enough to, to rule and dominate the others or remove the
0: others. If you think about it, Edward had the example of his father. Alfred was what son number five.
1: Something like, that, yeah.
0: He was the fifth son, and I think he was out of those five. He was the fourth to become king. I think there was only one who died.
1: That's that's right, yeah. So I mean, they just sort of carried one after the other. Yeah. So yeah, so maybe the mindset was life can be short, so it's not a bad thing. Yeah,
0: and we are fighting wars constantly, so we need to make sure if I have five sons, I might guarantee one of them getting the throne.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good way. That's a good point. And I think it's a good way of looking at it. And it does explain a little more why an Anglo Saxon king might marry for a third time when he's already got three sons. Mm. Because it's just reinforcing his legacy. Yeah,
0: and he's not looking at it as muddying the succession. No. He's just looking at it as guaranteeing the succession.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting difference with what happens later on after the Norman conquest.
0: Yeah, because even a 100 years later, um, it was the anniversary yesterday of Emma of Normandy's death, and she'd married Ethelred II, the unready, in 1002. He already had by his first wife six living sons. Yeah. But he still married Emma and produced another two sons. And one of those sons by Emma did eventually become king.
1: And also, I mean, they were very, un- all of those times were very uncertain times. And both the mm. periods we've just talked about were times when there was conflict with the Danes. Yes. And if you were a prince uh, of, of adult age, the chances were you were going to be leading armies or being heavily involved in fighting. And
0: therefore, there was a risk. And you were expected to. You were expected to fight. You couldn't be king and stand at the back saying, go on, lads, have at it. Yeah. You had to be in the middle of the fighting to prove your worth to be king. Yeah. So it was a risky business being king. It wasn't you didn't sit in your marble palace waiting for the soldiers to come back and say, it's all right, we won. Yes.
1: Yeah, And it colours how you look at the succession. The succession is about continuing your legacy, yes. sustaining your legacy. It's not necessarily, well, it's certainly not about your eldest surviving son being king. No. Your eldest surviving son could turn out to be an idiot or an incompetent. You need to make sure there's a good chance of one of your sons managing to succeed and be effective.
0: No matter which one it is.
1: Yeah. And I guess the, the sort of sanctity of kingship but well, clearly was not as uh, enshrined as it was later to become
0: Mm. yeah i I think we might have lost something in that you know that it was in those days it was more on merit than firstborn. it must have provided a better stability for the country
1: you look at the middle ages and uh someone like henry vi not the best person probably to be ruling a kingdom but he was in theory he was the right person to, to rule mm-hmm. because he was the eldest son or well, the only son of the previous king but you know i think um there may be something to be said for the anglo-saxon way of doing things mm-hmm. because obviously ethelwald when he made his bid to take over from alfred must have believed that he had a case that he could he could make a case for being the most effective alternative mm-hmm. And who's to say that had he not died at the Battle of the Hold, that um, he might have turned out to... To be the the successor,
0: yeah, he may well have done. It, it was only because he died, so he wasn't, <laughs> or couldn't continue the campaign.
1: Again, it's emphasising the importance of surviving battles mm. and the, the you know the, the throw of the dice or you know the gods' intervention or whatever whatever they like to call it at the time. But there were many occasions when you could be killed fighting,
0: time and time again. I read in medieval times. The, um armies actually tried to avoid battle and would only bring another army to battle if it was the last resort, if they couldn't see another way out of it. Yeah. Because battles are so uncertain. You can't guarantee victory and you can't guarantee surviving that victory. So it is the last resort and you're throwing everything on the turn of a dice because one straight arrow and your cause is lost if that strikes the king. Yes, I am thinking 1066 and I know we didn't necessarily get Narrow arrow in his eye but it, sh- it demonstrates my point really doesn't it if you throw everything into a battle and you, everything rests on that battle it can go either way and it's nothing to do with how well you fight it's luck
1: well Eddington was another example yeah. Alfred's on the line there he loses Eddington or gets killed at Eddington the Danes have basically taken over the Kingdom of Wessex and, and I think the other thing is in, in modern times we tend to think that there were thousands of thousands of of warriors in these battles but there weren't always no there weren't always thousands of people fighting because there, there weren't thousands of people available to actually fight
0: now and um, there was another one i was reading about this morning edward after the battle of farnham edward had the danes cornered on thorny island this was about 893 when king alfred was still alive he'd sent to his dad for reinforcements to. Um, to finish the Danes off at Thorny Island his dad couldn't because he was fighting in Devon Ethelred of Mercia came to help and they start this siege. The Danes are on this island in the middle of the Thames, where the Thames meets the Colne River, and the Wessex forces and the Mercian forces are besieging the um, island. But the problem is, the siege takes so long, and suddenly Edward hasn't got any forces because he's using the third, and they can only call up the third for two months. Much like in, in later medieval times, the soldiers are called up for 40 days. With the third, it was two months. And once those two months are up, they just go home. <laughs>
1: (laughs) I know that's a that's a sort of another classic difference isn't it in that time period that the implication is that well you're king so if you've got an army you've got an army well you've got your your household warriors you've got your your main men but the, the majority of your army is made up of the third of these ordinary farmers or or people who whose commitment is brief really so you either use them when you've got them or you don't have them anymore.
0: Yeah, exactly. So by the time the third goes home and Edward's only got his household knights and Ethelred's household knights, and suddenly they haven't got enough troops to continue the siege. And they're also running short of supplies themselves. So they have to give it up. Things like that, just, you know, just everyday technical stuff of how long have we got before the third goes home. And when when they do fight a pitched battle, the third They aren't, like you say, they're farmers, they're townspeople. Yeah. They don't even come with proper weapons. They'll have pitchforks and things, and they're fighting trained soldiers or another third but it adds uncertainty of whether or not you're going to win a battle because these are just they're they're not trained soldiers they're just brawlers
1: yeah i guess if you're a member of the third your main aim is to either avoid fighting anybody at all or to end up fighting somebody on the other side who's of a similar status so you might have a fighting chance
0: You don't want to be faced with the trained soldiers, do you? You want to be on the periphery, No. And you're not going to put yourself forward into the fight. You're not there to make, to um, cover your name in glory. No. You're there to survive so that you can go home and bring in the harvest.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, th- these sort of uh, essentials of life didn't change whoever was king. No. So what overall do we think about? Edward the Elder then, what do we make of him?
0: I was pretty impressed with him when I saw what he managed to do and how yeah. he just kept fighting, he kept on. He worked well with Ethel Fled, his sister, to give them both this sound base from where to extend their borders, to extend into Northumbria and eventually take York, get the Scots to submit to him and the Welsh, and of course the Danish... Not his fault that the Danish came back stronger at the end of the century.
1: Well, I I totally agree with all of that, but it's a, that's a very sort of English and in inverted commas viewpoint, isn't it? If if you're a Mercian after the death of Ethelfled, your view of Edward would be very different, probably. You might see him as a strong leader, but would you not be a little resentful, perhaps, of the way that he more or less subsumed Mercia into into Wessex?
0: Yeah, he's basically taken away mercy and independence, hasn't he? Yeah. He's following his father's aim of a united England.
1: Yes, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and, and does very well.
0: And like you said, yeah, it's the English attitude that we all wanted to be united as one England. He was very successful, but he did it overriding the wishes of the Mercians, the Northumbrians.
1: East Anglians, the Kentish.
0: And those who live in the Danelaw, like me. You know, I live in Basset Law, so I'm in the Danelaw. I wouldn't have wanted to be overtaken by Edward, because... Most people around here would have been Danish as well.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got that cultural divide as well. And and by the time of Edward, the Dane law is still a, it's a an obvious sort of division, isn't it? I mean, that fades over time. But I- I'm thinking also from the point of view, though, of, of say the, the East Anglians and the kings of East Anglia, their view of of Wessex would have been probably that here was this this great power that used its muscles to steamroller through uh, other smaller kingdoms. Yes. And maybe people of such areas could say, okay, yeah, if we're part of a bigger entity, then we're going to be better protected from invasions and so on. But giving up their independence, aren't they? Whether I don't know how at this distance of time, I don't know how strongly people felt about that. What I what I do know is that what tends to happen is the average I, I don't suppose there was a man in the street, but but ordinary folk in that time period, probably cared less who was actually in charge. What what they cared about was stability and peace to get on with their lives.
0: Yeah, and not being overrun by Danes and having all their goods stolen by the Danes every five minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah, and their crops burned and so on. So uh, there's a difference of perspective there, several differences of perspective as to how you might regard Edward the Elder. From the long-term historical view and the development of this country, what you said at the start, I think, is, is very reasonable. He, he took England closer to unity than his father had and not as far as his son would.
0: Yeah, and I think it is interesting that if one of those three kings had been a little bit weaker, then their overall aims would not have been achieved. You know, the strength of Edward in being able to continue what his father had started and that Athelstan continuing what his father had started is um, impressive and it's what unites England. But if just one of those three had not been able to do what they achieved, it could have all fallen down and we'd all be speaking Danish.
1: Well, the other X factor in all of that is much of his success owed a lot to his alliance with his sister, Aethelflaed. Yes. Had she not been in a position of power in Mercia, which again is sort of luck one way or another, they had no son, Ethelred and Ethelred had no son to succeed Mm. Ethelred. But if they had, maybe Mercia would have been a great deal more independent or tried to be a great deal more independent. There wouldn't have been the collaboration that there was between the two countries anyway. Yes, Edward might well have been perceived as a potential ally, but also a potential enemy.
0: Yeah, that's true, because Ethelflaed would have been protecting her son's birthright rather than her daughter's.
1: And without Ethelflaed, a lot of what Edward achieved could not have been done, I don't think.
0: Mm, No, I don't think so. He would have been having to watch his back while he was heading north. Yeah. If Ethelflaed wasn't an ally, she was a potential enemy.
1: So in my view, I, I see... The, the achievement of Edward, if you like, as an achievement in tandem with Aethelflaed and that mm. if you take either one away, neither is able to achieve what they did.
0: No, it's pretty impressive that a brother and sister could work so well together. I'm not sure I would have been able to do so well with my brother.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's unusual because it was unusual for a woman to be in the position Aethelflaed was in, mm. in a position of control of, of Mercia, of a kingdom. So it's unusual in that respect. And so I can't think of, of any examples from history where, you know, similar things happen. There probably are, but I can't offhand think of any.
0: I can't at the minute, but I know there, there will be.
1: It doesn't always work out that your, your brother and sister are going to work together. The sibling rivalry is a fact. So, you know, it could have been, it could have had the opposite effect mm. that fled was powerful.
0: And just imagine if Aethelflaed had been married abroad instead of into Mercia. There are so many things that could have changed history with just where Ethelfled was and her relationship with her brother.
1: Yeah. So so while I think, while I agree that, that Edward achieved a lot and took his father's legacy on another step. I don't think he could possibly have done it without Aethelflaed.
0: No, I don't think he could have either. So we're going to leave it there. Yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it. Aethelflaed wins. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a vote boat, boat between Edward and Aethelflaed, I'd still go for Aethelflaed. She does deserve recognition for what she managed to achieve Um, in a world that was definitely male-orientated.
1: I think there's a there's another podcast episode there somewhere about Ethel Fled.
0: Oh yes.
1: Well, what I don't want to happen is for us to to bury Edward again, which is where we started. That he was a much overlooked king. I do I do think it's a team effort.
0: It is a team effort, but he was the one ultimately in charge. Yes. Because he was king, even though Ethelflaed obviously had a lot of influence. And she did her own thing as well. It was more, it was, he was overall in charge, but it was a partnership. And that he was raiding into East Anglia while she was consolidating with Derby and Leicester. And it was to her that York was going to submit, not to Edward.
1: Uh, no, and, and York changed its mind at first after she died. Didn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, team effort.
0: Team effort. Brother and sister did well. <laughs> I hope you've all enjoyed this podcast. I've certainly enjoyed it. I hadn't looked much into Edward the Elder before. It's been absolutely fabulous and really interesting to look into such a character that, as we said, has of, is often overlooked between Alfred the Great and King Athelstan. Do join us next time when we have historian Darren Baker talking with us about Henry III and Simon de Montfort and working out who is the good guy and who is the bad guy. That's going to be really interesting. <laughs> me anyway.
1: I'm looking forward to it.
0: Okay, thanks everybody for listening. I'm Sharon Bennett-Connolly
1: and I'm Derek Burks and we look forward to the next podcast.